Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A great and glorious Father, we give thanks to you that you have from of old spoken through the prophets, but now have revealed yourself through your Son. Lord, that you have uh, given forth your promises in which we find a rest in. Lord, that we look unto these with faith. Lord, and you have promised that as the grass withers, as flowers fade, that your words will stand forever. As we look out in the world and we see the failing promises of our own lips, of men and women, of uh, other various things, we see them start to wither, start to bow down as seasons come, but yet, Lord, your word stands firmly throughout them all. As generations come and go and new uh, ideas come and go, Lord, your word is the one that remains and steadfast throughout all generations. Lord, let us rest ourselves and our promises through faith in Christ Jesus, the one who has spoken all these things. And we find the fulfillment of our yes and amens in him. Lord, we pray all these things in his blessed and holy name. Amen. Hear now the word, Lord, from Exodus chapter 12, verse 33 to 42. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls been bound up in the cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes, of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. If you went walking through the streets of Goshen, that night you would not have heard any noise or commotion on the streets. There would not have been the sound of a dog barking. The moon in full splendor of the lunar beams providing the light as the doors all shut. And inside the houses were murmurs and muffled noises. 
You could have heard the sound of mothers and fathers uh, talking with their children. We can't go out tonight. Tonight is a different night. And tomorrow will be a brand new day. A different day than we have ever experienced in my life and yours. You could imagine as little Joshua was there with his father Nun having this conversation as Joshua asked his father many a question as any child does. Why? Why did the lamb have to die? As the father turns to his son because God told us that he would pass over the houses that have the sign of the shed blood upon the doorposts. Well, what about me, Dad? I'm a firstborn just like you. How can we know that we're going to be safe tonight? Because, son, God has promised that if he sees the blood of a lamb, that he will pass over that house. The lamb died to be able to save you and I. What if I wasn't that good today, Dad? My son, the lamb's blood is sufficient to atone for yours and my sin and everyone else in this house. What about the other people who don't have the blood on the doorpost? Well, God has told us that he will strike them down and the firstborn of their household will die. Well, why did we ask for gold and jewelry from our friends? Because God told your great-grandfather that when we leave here, we will have great possessions. Well, why didn't we put leaven in the bread? Because God told us that we wouldn't have time for it to rise. Why do you have your sandals and your belt on? Because God told us that we need to be ready to leave when we are set free. Where are we going to live, Dad? Well, God has got a land ready for us. He's going to give to us a land that's flowing with milk and honey. He promised it to us. Father, how can we know that any of this is true? Does God keep his promises? My son, God never lies. God is always faithful. We're called to be able to live by faith. Our great-grandfathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all trusted God's promises through faith. And we have the assurance of those things that we have hoped for. We have this conviction of these things not yet seen. God told Abraham that this would happen. He has shown these great signs and wonders to those wicked people who have enslaved us. But tonight is the night that both you and I, for the very first time in our lives, will be set free from slavery. Don't take my word for it, son. Trust God's word. You will see. Tomorrow, these silent streets will be filled with joyous singing from God's people. And this very night, as you wandered through, as you would have heard these conversations throughout all the houses, as children ask questions, we see why this night is different from any other of the nights that they'd gone before as they lived in this land. That this same night led to a whole new morning for them. 
The night for those who did not spread the blood on the doorposts was the day of judgment for Pharaoh and his people. This judgment that was pronounced and instantaneous. This judgment that showed no favoritism. It was non-discriminatory. The striking the firstborn in from Pharaoh's palace to the handmaid to the prisoner. This night of judgment was somber and serious. Yet what we see, that same night that brings judgment is the same night that brings freedom. For one, it was a night that led to mourning. M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. But the same night is one that broke forth and led to liberty to others. Under the same moon came different M's. The night of darkness for some, but a morning of light and celebration to others. A day that some wish to forget while others seek to be able to remember. So what do we learn about this night for those who are set free, those captives? First, we see this liberty is pronounced and instantaneous. This liberty is pronounced and instantaneous. Just as the judgment was pronounced to Pharaoh, we must see God also tells of this freedom which is to come, that he reveals to us a way of salvation and a hope for us through his word. He warns people of their sin, but he doesn't merely just warn them that judgment is coming. He tells them of a way how he can also save them. We see the Egyptians in the seventh sign and wonder of this hail, heeding the word of the Lord as they feared him and his word. See this in chapter 9. But the Bible does not only tell us that we are sinners with no hope of saving ourselves, but the Bible also tells us of this hope, how we are to be saved through faith in Christ Jesus. He sends prophets to be able to warn people of their sin, but also prophets to be able to call them unto the Lord. Jonah was sent into Nineveh to be able to preach this judgment. But this preaching moved their hearts. They, they repented, put on sackcloth and ashes. They repented. And God had told of his plan of salvation for his people right back. In Genesis chapter 15, he had told the people that he would save them. He would deliver them. They're not then to be able to say, judgment is coming. Go out into the world, try and solve and crack these riddles. And if you don't get it all right, then judgment is yours. But this is how most religions work. They come with all these rules and regulations that you've got to live a certain way and pass these certain tests to be able to make sure and ensure. And even then, you can't be guaranteed at the end. Yet God, from the very beginning, had told us that he is going to save his people. He is the one that's going to come down to be able to find us. He has pronounced this good news of salvation. I heard one preacher describe it recently that, People think is, of salvation is trying to reach the top of the mountain. That everyone can go their own way to be able to get to the same destination at the peak, at the top. 
But he explained that Christianity is the only religion where God comes down from the mountain to be able to save his people. He doesn't leave us to be able to struggle to the top. But the truth is that many have this flawed view of thinking that they think they can actually climb the mountain. They can get up that steep cliff. It either makes the mountain really small, that it's obtainable, just like a little molehill, well, we can climb to the top of that. That's not a big deal. Or it assumes more in ourselves that we are more competent than we seek to be able to do, that we can live a certain life and make it to the top. And I mean, if you change the mountain, you change all the rules and regulations, then you just make them what fits you. Then you can do this. Pharisees did this. They made up their own traditions. Jeroboam did this. He changed all of God's rules and laws. He set up his own altars, his priests and festivals, and bam. There you go. (laughs) I made it. But all of this is based around what man has made. Depends on how man relates to God on these man-made rules. Our right from the very beginning, the Bible is not about how we save ourselves, how we can climb the mountain ourselves. The Bible from the very beginning is God is going to send one born of the woman who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. We cannot crush the head of the serpent by ourselves. And time and time again, he has told us that he is coming to save us and all we need to be able to do is put our faith and trust in him. That God has pronounced His way of salvation. And time and time again, that's exactly what we see in this chapter as well. How did they know to be able to put blood on the doorpost? Blood of a lamb that is unblemished of one that is one years old. That would be a riddle trying to be able to crack. Oh, well, the person down the street, well, they used the wrong type of blood on their doorposts. Well, we painted our windows. And trial and error, well, we worked it out finally. When it's too late. But God had clearly pronounced all of what he had asked them to be able to do. To be able to perform these things through faith, not knowing what Pharaoh would do. Rather than only what God had said. That he provides a way, he instructs them and tells them. They need only to have faith and to obey. But we also see this liberty not as merely just pronounced, but as instantaneous. How in a moment this salvation comes. See in verse 40, that they were in the land of Egypt for 430 years. But notice how quickly they were saved on that very night, as Moses writes. They were saved in a moment. The whole nation thrust them out, we're told in verse 39, in great haste. They didn't have any chance to be able to prepare or make provisions for themselves. Not only we see Pharaoh say that they're to go out immediately, verses 31 and 32, but also the people of Egypt were urgent to be able to send and drive them out. They were to eat the Passover meal with their belt and their sandals fastened and on. 
And just as this pronounced judgment came in an instant, so too did this pronounced redemption come in a moment. That there's no probation period. Okay, you guys, shed the blood and spread it on your doorpost through faith. All right, let's wait. You're free, but let's give it six months to see how it really turns out. Just like Jesus speaks to the the thief on the cross as as the, the, the thief mocked and ridiculed him. He did not say, sorry, you kind of have had a really bad track record. Let, let's see how it turns out, right? He didn't say, sorry, I really need to see you raise your hand and pray a prayer. Sign this card for me. Sorry, you, you really need to go to church first. Sorry, you need to go back and say sorry to all the people you stole from, the people you killed. No, he turned and said, in a moment. His faith was real and tangible. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. That this salvation is free, it's pronounced, it is here for us today. Philippian jailer asked the question, what must I do to be saved? The answer is simple and it resounds throughout history. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This is God's work that he pronounces salvation, he announces salvation, and it happens in a moment for those who put their faith and their trust in Christ. We also see that this liberty is non-discriminatory. That liberty and freedom comes to all people. Notice in this passage, this great number who are mentioned in verses 37 and 38. Look at how big it is. You want to ask how that number can be so big? I'd gladly talk to you what I've read in commentaries. There are many differing perspectives. But let me just say that this number, in my opinion, is very realistic. It might seem large, but we're told right at the very beginning of Exodus that the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. In verse 7 and then verse 9, it says, They increased in number that so much that Pharaoh did not know Joseph, said that they are too many and too mighty for them. So here they're growing in numbers so much that Pharaoh is concerned compared to all his army with his chariots and horses is up against these farmers and shepherds that they could be too strong and too many and too mighty for them. And even after he then goes to be able to enslave them in verse 12, we're told that they continue to grow and increase. The whole land is filled with them. Pharaoh is concerned that they're too strong and mighty, so he tries to oppress them by slavery. And what happens? They grow even more. But even after further attacks, is Pharaoh trying to get the midwives to be able to destroy the baby boys? What do we see? More increase. So people say, how can this number be so big? And we say, well, it's here. Why would Pharaoh be scared of... 25,000 people. 
that here they're growing so big and so grand that Pharaoh is scared. One commentator explains that the idea of a a people group growing from 70 to about 2 million, which is roughly about the number they say because it says there's 600,000 men, in 430 years is not implausible. It would require a population growth rate of 2.6%. This is extraordinarily high, but not far beyond the 2.2% growth seen worldwide in the middle of the 20th century. So even if you were just to do the math, it's very, very possible, but we have the affirmation from God's Word that this is what happened so much that they were scared. So not only we see this, this liberty come to a large amount of people, what we also see it comes to a diverse amount of people, that it comes to all people, children, men, and women. We're told in verse 38 that a mixed multitude came up with them. God had already told Moses in in chapter 7, verse 5, that the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Your God had already said that here there's going to be people, people that know the Lord. We saw in the the sign and wonder of the hail, that here these people who feared the Lord, just as the midwives feared the Lord, here we have these Egyptians underneath Pharaoh's house that also fears the Lord. You see a clear inclusion following this passage in verse 43 to 50, that here the Passover, as they continue to remember this event, is opened for all those who are willing to be able to join the covenant community. Well, why would that be included? If it's only Israelites who have already been circumcised leaving Egypt, why would then this rule be in place that here other people are allowed to join the covenant community? So here, this salvation is open to everyone. You think about it, that Maybe there's people here that feared the Lord that put blood on their doorpost before the, the Lord passed over that very night. Or maybe they were so moved that this judgment fell upon their house and they said, this is the God that I seek to be able to worship. And we see this all throughout pages of Scripture. The people from outside, not born in the Jewish covenant community, come in from outside and God welcomes them. Paul explains that as a preacher goes out to be able to pronounce this free gift of salvation found in Jesus Christ, he says in Romans 10, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus says that He is the door. If anyone enters by Me, He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. If anybody comes to Christ, they will be saved. 
I don't know how the church got to preach a different message. We're labeled as haters. Here we preach the same message to everyone. Now, not everyone's going to like that message. Paul in another passage explains that some have this smell that would be like a newborn baby, that everyone loves that smell filled with life, but the other hears the same message and they smell not the newborn baby, but the rotting flesh and death. But what we need to preach is the gospel, that you are a sinner and God has made a way for us to save us from our sin and his name is Jesus. The Apostle Paul rebuked Peter for hanging out only with the Jews, and Peter said that it was not in step with the truth of the gospel in Galatians chapter 2. And I think one of the most miserable aspects of our faith is is that we're not accused of what Jesus was accused for. We're not accused nearly enough as those who claim to be able to walk like Christ that we eat far too much with sinners. Now notice they did not accuse him of approving of sinners. They did not accuse him of becoming a sinner, but eating with sinners. And salvation and liberty is free for all who put their faith and their trust in God. And we should not discriminate. For all, as one person gave me the other day on a sheet of paper, that we have all a recall notice out. And it starts by saying, the maker of all human beings is recalling all units manufactured, regardless of make or year due to a serious defect in the primary and central component of the heart. We preach Christ saves sinners. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe that Christ is able to save sinners? The message of the gospel is able to transform hearts. Or do we think sinners are going to transform our hearts? Now, it's true, we should be cautious about how we go out and how we mix and mingle with people, not approving of their sin, but do we have that same truth that God is able to change their heart before they change ours? That God is able to keep our hearts clean because of what Christ has done for us? Do we preach the gospel to sinners or do we wait for them to be perfect or better or able to be able to hear the gospel before we preach and proclaim that gospel message? Do we eat with sinners? The gospel is for everyone. Heaven is going to be filled with people from every tribe, nation, and tongue who bow down before Jesus saying, Jesus is Lord. So therefore, we should go to all tribes, nations, and tongues and tell them about the Lord. Tell them about this salvation that is free to all. The judgment is coming. And that night can be a night as a thief in the night that comes as a shock to you or a night that leads to mourning and joy. The gospel is for everyone. Everyone in this room today and everybody else who is not. 
The third thing that we see is liberty is victorious and joyous. That this judgment comes and as the Egyptians face was not just some symbolic judgment. It was real and tangible as they held their loved ones that very next day. But so too was this freedom that came that morning. That redemption was now theirs. The freedom was something they could have and to hold. They could celebrate with their children. Freedom was not a dream, a hope, an object in the distant future, but was there now, was theirs now. Given to them not because of their actions, but because of their gracious and merciful God, who had heard their cry and saved their lives. They left that morning as the Egyptians were mourning their loss. They left celebrating and rejoicing. The people of God were now free. No longer owned by Pharaoh, but they were free to be able to serve the Lord. The one with the outstretched arm who had set them free. And God had judged the nation and its ruler and their gods He had defeated them and conquered them and their enemy. And salvation came to his people, not because what they had done, but what God had accomplished. You see this victory more subtly than other points, but it's throughout the whole passage. You see the term there you used of the 600,000 men on foot is actually used quite frequently of an army marching, an infantry. And here now the battle goes out victorious. They hadn't lost a single life. You also see this in the term that the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. Often this is terms used of a victorious army going into the defeated city and plundering the goods throughout the city and taking them home. And now the Israelites do the same as they walk out victorious. Israelites did not put on a sword and to be able to fight that night. The Lord did it all for them. You notice even again in verse 29 that the Lord struck the Egyptians. And then in verse 36, you see the Lord gives to the Israelites through the favor of the Egyptians. In verse 42, it's the Lord watching over his people. The salvation came only through the hand of the Lord. As Moses puts it in verse 42, that when they remember this night, it will be kept for the Lord. It's really hard for us to grasp and fathom what happened here this night. We're born into countries that are known for freedoms, for liberties. When the people from other nations seek to be able to come and live and dwell here. We woke up even this very morning able to be able to come to this house of worship, to be able to worship the true living triune God without barricades, without rules, without uh, cards to be able to scan. We're able to be able to choose our occupations, to be able to do what we wish when we want within bounds, have particular rights and freedoms. It's really hard for us to be able to even begin to fathom what this night would be like. Imagine waking up, and you put on your work clothes, you go work to Pharaoh, you, you 
get your straw, you make your bricks, you build your houses, whatever it is. Living a life in slavery. And yet this night opens and changes everything. What song would you sing that next morning? We see that they sing the song of joy and after they cross the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 15. Although we might not be able to fathom that in a, in a real physical, tangible sense in which what we do and, and how we work, you might want to call your in, employer a slave. I can't and I don't. But here, that we have been freed from the shekels of slavery. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Here Christ came and Christ died that we might be free. As we see in Revelation, here's, there's these scrolls that no one can open, and, and here we're waiting for the, the one who can open them, and finally... Christ comes. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Who is able to be able to open these scrolls for us. That Christ has come to be able to do what no man has ever been able to do. Live that perfect life for us. To die the death for us. That Christ came and He was victorious over our enemy. The last enemy of death was defeated when He went down into the grave and rose victorious as a knight coming out of, of a battle covered in blood, but yet alive. The famous Christmas carol, Joy to the World, was written by Isaac Watts and is based on Psalm 98. And in this psalm we see these many themes of salvation. This salvation that is pronounced, that is instantaneous, that is open to all, and the one that brings forth praise and celebration and adoration to the victory which has been purchased. You just listen now to verses 2 to 6. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth in joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre and with a lyre and the sound of the melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. What a great thing for us to be able to rest in this very day. This truth of what God has done and accomplished for us. Not this night, but the night in which He died. As darkness fell on the earth, as He breathed His last, descended into the grave and rose victorious as that new morning came where He had purchased freedom for us who put our faith in Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise for this glorious message of freedom and liberty 
for those in which you have saved. Lord, let us see, Lord, this glorious news which you have announced from of old. Lord, that it is ours at this very moment. Lord, that it is open to all. Lord, that it leads forth to the victory and singing of joyous praise for your people. Lord, let us rest in this. Let us pray to you, giving thanks and adoration to the salvation which you have given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.